Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. Hello and welcome to Spoco Radio. I am not DC3, but my name is Jerry Sherwin. I am a writer at Black Heart Gold Pants, and joining me, as always, it's the shy people's champ. Champ, are you feeling a little bit better after the weekend? I'm feeling a little bit better. Still angry with that game, but I've composed myself, I've composed my thoughts in, the, in, the, in my usual notebook, and I am ready for the show this evening. He's got the notebook out. That generally means that he's got things to say. It might not be a great week to be an Iowa fan for this podcast. (laughs) I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. not saying. Well, before we get into that, please, everybody, make sure that you are passing this along to your friends. Subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out greatly. And just as a reminder for Twitter, you can follow Blackheart Gold Pants at BHGP. You can follow Champ at Shy People's Champ. I'm at Jerry Sherwin. And you can follow our resident Italian, basically. I think basically at this point in time, he's just eating bunches of cheese, salty meats, drinking wine. His wife's basically been kind of wine drunk the last two or three days, and the wedding hasn't even gotten here yet. So you can follow Dave Cray at Dave Cray. Yeah, I can't wait to see him in Italy. I'm, I myself am heading there tomorrow with my lovely wife for my sister's wedding. And yeah, DC looks like he's having a good old time just drinking wine, eating cheese, and just living it up. I can't wait to see him there. We'll send one of the tweets out. This is You guys should definitely go follow us. I'll send out one of the pictures that we have of Dave next to the statue of David. He looks very amused to be having taken that picture with his wife. Um, he's definitely on a Euro vacation right now and loving every bit of it. One more reminder, we do have a voicemail line. So everybody, if you were a little upset after the Michigan game, those are going to DC's phone right now. So he will have those when he gets back. But for the Penn State game this weekend, before, after, during, tailgating, drinking, slamming your head yourself through a table if you'd like to be a Buffalo Bills kind of fan, give us a call. The voicemail line is 224-661-0909. Put it in your cell phones, blow it up. You can text us as well. Champ, you ready for the outside zone question to start the show? I am. Let's go. All right. The first question that I have for you, if Brian Ferentz is the guy we saw against Michigan and the offense continues to struggle against quality conference opponents on the way to a seven or eight win season, is his job safe and will he be given limited chances to succeed at this job since he shares the same last name as the head coach? So the problem with this is I think he will be giving unlimited chances because he's Kirk Ferentz's son, but I hate that. I don't think that should be the case at all. I think he should earn every bit of it, and I don't think Brian Ferentz thus far in his tenure as Iowa's coach has earned that. I think his offense has been pedestrian at best for most of his tenure. I think especially in this Michigan game and especially in games on the road like we talked about in the pre- or the post-game show. 
When he has to go on the road, Iowa's offense has to go on the road and play ranked Big Ten teams, they are winless in the last couple seasons, and that is unacceptable. I have some stats, Jerome. Are you ready for this? I have some stats. (laughs) The notebook's out. Let's do this. From this Michigan game, credit Scott Docterman from The Athletic. I pulled a lot of these stats straight from a couple of his articles after the Michigan game. Let's start with the run game. We know they didn't run the ball against Michigan. In fact, they only ran it 22 times for 72 yards. Do you know what they have averaged per carry on the season this year, Jerome, before the Michigan game? Uh, it was around like five yards uh, as an average. 5.2 yards a carry and 217.5 yards a game they averaged. We thought the run the game Michigan was back game. because of that. So we thought the run game was back. So let's give you some more stats. Coming into that game, Wisconsin, the week before against Michigan, ran for 359 yards on the ground. So what does Iowa do? They drop back and throw the ball 50 fucking times, and they run the ball 22 times. What the hell kind of game plan is that from Brian Ferentz? What, how going into a game when you just watch Wisconsin run all over Michigan for the tune of almost 400 rushing yards, do you decide, hey, I want to throw the ball tw- more than twice as many times as I want to run the ball? In what world does that make sense to you? It doesn't, and it still doesn't make any sense. And the fact that it happened makes everybody that is a Brian believer have to take pause. And that's the worst part about this question, is the fact that guys like me, who is the internal optimist about this entire offense, about Nate Stanley, about the direction of Brian Ferentz, and what, like, in theory, he should be able to do with a college offense like Iowa's. Now, we're not running the spread. We're not going to be doing the pistol. We're not going to be doing things like that. We're going to be doing a very pro-style, NFL-style offense. And that's just the way Iowa's going to be. And Brian should be able to cater to that type of offense. This week, can I throw can I throw out one more stat to you please. to go along with what you yeah. just said? Since 2015, when Iowa has run the ball for over a hundred yards, they've they've done it 44 times since 2015. Take a guess what their record is in those 44 games. Give me the stat one more time. That since 2015. Uh-huh. They have rushed for over 100 yards 44 times. Guess what their record is in those 44 games? Uh, I know the stats are really good for this. I would say 38 and 6. Very close. Even better. They are 40 and (laughs) 4 if they rush for over 100 yards. And at at the other end of that, they have not rushed for 100 yards since 2015. Four, only 14 times. Guess what their record is in those 14 games? <sighs> Two and 12. Even worse, one and 13. <laughs> that's, that's so that is, that is your number, 100 yards rushing, which is not even a lot for college football, to be honest. Teams are rushing for two, three, 400 yards a game. Iowa needs to run the ball consistently. When they get over 100 yards, they're nearly unbeatable. 40 and 4. And when they don't, they're 1 and 13 since 2015. That alone should tell you that they should be hammering the ball. They should be running the ball. Even if they're not getting 5.5 yards of carry like they were averaging prior to this game. Even if they're only getting 3, 4 yards of carry. It, it just opens up so much more for this offense. And Brian Ferentz needs to realize this. And he re- needs to realize this fast. Or he is not long for this job. He should not 
just be given this job because he's Kirk Ferentz's son. That's what's so frustrating about this Michigan game to me is because Michigan kept handing the game over to Iowa, and Iowa kept going to this four-wideout offensive system that he thought was going to work. It's like they didn't even bother watching what Wisconsin or Army did. Yeah, Army ran for I 205 or something, Army, right? Army ran for 203 yeah. yards against Michigan. I mean, the teams have run against Michigan. And in the fourth quarter, another stat I have. I'm sorry I got a lot of stats. But the fourth quarter of this game, Iowa, 18 of the 19 plays were in three wide receiver sets or greater. And in the final 14 plays of this game, they threw the ball every single play. That's unacceptable. When you're down a touchdown in the fourth quarter in Michigan and you throw the ball the last 14 times of the game and you're in three or four wide receiver sets, 97% of those plays, it's inexcusable. And it's just not good coaching. And that and Kirk needs to light a fire under his son's ass and get him together and get him what he should be doing for this offense. So I don't really have this question down, but I'm kind of shocked that Kirk didn't at halftime tell Brian, like, we're going to go back to the basics and do what Iowa does. So the fact that Kirk didn't make that stipulation, does that mean that Brian has a bigger hold on this this program right now than we think? I think so. I think I think Kirk has pretty much given Brian the reins on offense, and I, I don't know if that's a good thing because – I understand they're, they have more playmakers than they've ever had, and maybe Brian Ferentz gets some credit for that, for going out recruiting some of these guys. But Kirk needs to have a more has needs to have more of an influence in game on the offense. If he sees things that aren't going well, he needs to talk to Brian. He needs to talk to the offensive line. He needs to get this group together and have more of an influence. I understand he wants to give Brian more autonomy with that unit, but he needs to he needs to get it done and he needs to talk to Brian in game or at halftime and things need to change. So let's pretend that I will we talked about this on the recap show on Saturday. So if you guys aren't listening to that, we have a recap show after every single uh game on Saturdays this week. I believe um Harrison's gonna be taking over for that for us. But um First year, Brian Ferentz eight and five, right as the offensive coordinator. Last year they go nine and four. Let's say this year they go ten and three with a bowl, a decent bowl win. How many people in Iowa though are going to say that that's not good enough? That's a tough question because because very few are going to say that. Yeah, that's the problem because they they like the status quo. I mean, Iowa's had two coaches. In the last 50 years at this program. I mean, that that's the definition of status quo. I'm not saying that I want to coach every three, four years like these other bum teams like Rutgers and Nebraska and these other Illinois and teams like that. I like the consistency of Kirk Ferentz. And of, I mean, obviously I wasn't alive for the Hayden Fry era, but I, I enjoy having the same guy and knowing what's going on. But at the same token, you have to hold your, your positional coaches accountable. And whether it's his son or whether it's a different guy, he needs to hold them accountable. And this offense with a senior quarterback, it's honestly a game like that. It just takes a huge step back. It really makes those four games before that seem like they don't even matter. Because when you have a big game at Michigan and your offense shows up like this, it just it hurts. And it, it just takes all the progress you made from the first four weeks and it puts it right back down the hill, and it's like you're starting over again. Here's the weird thing about all of it, though, is we've col- we've clamored for 
any sort of resemblance of a four wide out system for so long. When is Iowa going to start updating their offense to what more college football teams are doing? And yes, do I think that Brian tried to get a little too cute against Michigan? I do. But it wasn't too long ago that all of us were begging for this to happen. So there's a fine line here that like Brian's damned if he do does. He's damned if he doesn't. Like if I would have lost that same game and ran the ball 50 times, we would all have been saying, you got to spread them out. You got to have some quick hitters. That, like there's just this very weird thing here that goes to your last point that you made is, yes, I always only had two coaches in the last God knows how however many years it actually is. And Brian looks like the next guy in line who's going to continue on that reign of putting guys to the NFL being a type of program that's going to develop talent every four-ish year years are going to maybe get to Indy and be a contender for maybe a playoff spot especially once they raise it from four teams to eight teams which is inevitable so like are we good with that type of status quo of being an eight win guaranteed team kind of what we've been ripping Nebraska about recently about the fact that they had Bo Pelini in there winning eight nine ten games and it wasn't good enough like isn't that at the end of the day good to have a coach that's kind of trying to try some things out that are more college football that we see on TV every single week instead of just being the status quo? I mean, I get that. I understand that we wanted us more, you know, three wide receiver, four wide receiver personnel, but you still have to have a balance. There's no excuse for throwing the ball 50 times and running the ball 22 times in what was a one possession game, like we said on the post game show, for 75% of that game. After the first quarter, it was 10-3 the entire game. Yeah. You ha- you just have to have more of a balance. That's what it comes down to. Whether it's college football, whether it's pro football, teams need to have balance on offense. If you're going to drop back 75% of the time, it's not going to lead to a lot, of su- a lot of success with your offense because the defensive unit knows what's coming. They can bring the house like Michigan did, and there's no, you know, there's no offsetting that with running the ball, running a draw, running stuff like that. It, you just have to have a balance. I'm not going to be that guy where you have to be in, you know, two tight end and a fullback and just pound the living hell out of the ball. You can run the ball out of shotgun. You can run the ball out of 11 personnel. That's fine. But you just need to have that in your arsenal. They ran the ball so well all year, and it just didn't make any sense to me why they abandoned it so quickly and didn't go back to it at all during that game. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100%. I just... It's a very it's just this weird line with that we have with the Ferences. It's like the minute things start getting bad or they don't live up to what our expectations are, all of a sudden we just we like turn on them. Like we did this a couple years ago with Kirk. All of a sudden, like then he turned into new Kirk, and now we're all happy with Kirk Ferentz again. Like there was a fire Kirk Ferentz brigade, and then now like we're all good with them again. It's just we got to figure out what we're happy with. And if we're happy with just continuously going to the Outback Bowl two or three years in a row and then having that one splashy team that nobody believes in, like maybe that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it could be. You know who I'm happy with out of this coach? Phil Parker. Phil Parker, (laughs) yeah. You want to give him the job as your next head coach? I'm fine with that at this point. I mean, I love Kirk Ferentz as much as the next guy. I, you, everybody knows my thoughts about Brian Ferentz, and it just made this game just made it worse. Here's one last thing, and then we'll go on to the next topic because I didn't anticipate spending 15 minutes on this. But the <laughs> first game for the Chicago Bears, and again, we are Bears fans, and I think a lot of people out there at least follow the Bears because they're Vikings fans and like to hate on us. But that first game for the Bears, Matt Nagy said that he got away from the run game, and I feel like Matt Nagy and Brian Ferentz have a similar style, like. 
inner working, like they're fiery guys, they're passionate guys. And I think like sometimes these types of situations, they think they're so right in what they believe that they can do to win a game that they tend to get away from what actually will work or going back to the simple basic types of the football that they have on the back of the sheet. And I just think that those two together maybe learned a lesson. I hope Brian learned a lesson this week and against Penn State, we'll see what happens. But that's just kind of like what I'm telling myself to give Brian another shot because he did try something that we haven't seen another offensive coordinator try before. I mean, you are right. I agree with that assessment that they do, both of those guys, do try to outsmart their competition when sometimes they just need to go back to the basics Mm -hmm. and run the ball and you know, get four or five yards of carry and set yourself up in second and short, third manageable instead of third and 15 and third and 30 and third and 17 and all those long third down plays we had. I mean, so many. I hope, I hope you're right. And I hope that Brian learned a lesson and Nate learned some lessons this week and it helps them in, in their remaining seven games of the season. And I, you know, we'll see. But as of right now, I'm not very optimistic. I'll tell you that. Well, We'll be going into the Penn State preview later, but since we're kind of on this topic right now, outside of winning, what does Iowa need to do this weekend against Penn State for them to earn your trust back, champ? They need to run the ball. I mean, I just keep harping on it, but they need to have a balanced offensive attack. Nate Stanley needs some complete balls that he should complete. They need to play, have play action, and they need to have a balanced attack. And that, I think if they do that, they have a good chance of winning this game. So we'll see what happens. But that's what I – obviously we're going to preview the game later on. But it, it, with that question, it's very simple for me. Have a balanced attack, run the ball more than 22 out of 72 plays. I'm looking forward to the 65-35 run pass split and then everybody freaking out that they didn't pass the ball enough. All right, let's get to the meat of our show here. The topic today that we kind of want to get into is Big Ten fill in the blanks. So I'm going to try to make sure that we get through these a little bit faster than this first segment. This is why DC is an expert at his job, because us two could just ramble on all day long. And that's why I'm not the host for this thing. I told you I was going to ramble with those first couple questions. I warmed you ahead of time, baby. This is why D- This is why we work as a threesome, because DC brings, brings us right back in. He'll tell us to shut up when we go. He cuts us off. <laughs> he really does. It's an, it's an expert type of thing. I don't know how he does it, because I just want to hear you passionately tell me more of stats out of your notebook. <laughs> All right, so Big Ten fill in the blank. Champ, I want to read a question, and there's going to be a blank somewhere in the sentence, and you have to fill it in with a word, phrase, belief, whatever. You ready? Beautiful. Yep. Number one, Nate Stanley will go down in Iowa history as? A good quarterback (laughs) that could have slash should have been great. All right. Any explanation as to why you put that? I just, he hasn't shown it to me in road games. I mean, you can't, you can't be one of, you know, the Chuck Longs or even, you know, the Drew Tates, the, the Brad Banks of the world, if you can't go on the road in Big Ten play and get wins. And Nate has not done that in his career. So until he does that, until he has that signature road-ranked Big Ten win, which could happen later in the year, they have another opportunity to do that against Wisconsin, he's just going to be a guy that was a good quarterback for this program that could have been great. So I have a very similar fill-in-the-blank. Mine was could have been, should have been. 
And at this point, like even for me, again, I'm the optimist for Nate. I believed in him. I still think that he has the potential to be one of those NFL type quarterbacks. If Mason Rudolph can do it, I think Nate Stanley could do it in the league. But if he's not going, is Mason Rudolph awake yet? Did I oh. check on that? Oh, hopefully, he's all right. I don't think Nate Stanley's awake either at this point. Getting sacked eight times. <laughs> But with three of the road games that are left on this schedule, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, and then at Nebraska to finish off the regular Big Ten season, does Nate go, I mean, best case scenario, two and three? Two and one. Two, two and one, yeah. I mean, if, if, they, if, if Nate can't beat Nebraska and Northwestern, Northwestern's going to basically be an Iowa home game. In Evanston, it's going to be 70%, 80% Iowa fans. Everybody knows the contingency of Iowa fans that live in and He's around He's 0-2 against Northwestern. Well, it's time to go 1-2. and two. If Those two should be automatic wins. I mean, though, that, that to me, if he wins those two games, that doesn't prove enough for me. He needs to go to Wisconsin and get that dub. He needs to go 3-0 and for me to be like, you know what, Nate, you proved yourself at the end of your Iowa career. You won some big road games. That's I know that's lofty expectations, but that's what I expect. It's, it's it's where I'm at now too because the road splits, as I mentioned on the Saturday show, it's not good at all. Nate on the road is no. terrible. It's not a it's a foregone conclusion at this point, and I don't even think the road contests and even the remaining schedule. Like if he if he loses to Penn State this weekend and then at Wisconsin, the rest of these games don't matter to me because then he beat teams that he should have beaten anyways at home. Yep. Just like these first four games. I mean, they should they were favored in all four. They should have won all four, and they did. So if you if everybody wants to give Nate credit for that, that's on them. I'm not that guy. He needs to he needs to do more for me. And I said that coming into this Michigan game, and he didn't. I think Nate's biggest moments at this point, you're always gonna remember him for are the three Iowa State wins. And I those are the only real big moments I really remember from him at this point, and that sucks. That sucks. Because with the touchdown passes and how consistent he's been at home, at least, and how many ball games they've actually won, like going eight and five, nine and four, and and probably nine and four, ten and three this year, that's a really good three seasons for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you're we both literally <laughs> had could have, should have in our statement, so that goes to that. All right, number two of the Big Ten fill in the blanks after this loss to Michigan. I will be playing in the blank bowl. It's funny, but I have the Outback Bowl. I know that's our bowl that we've played in so many times, but I just don't see a way that Iowa doesn't finish 9-3, and three, maybe even 8-4. and four. I mean, to be honest, that's right where that is, and that's, the, that's probably going to send you to the Outback Bowl. I, I hate to be the pessimist right now, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's not great, especially once uh, Minnesota somehow gets there over Iowa. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. Um, right now, I'm going to say the Holiday Bowl. It just seems like that's where Iowa's headed. It really, if it's a Holiday Bowl, Outback Bowl, it feels like it's one and the same. Yeah, pretty much. All right, number three. In three weeks, Michigan State will be known as blank. Now, right now, champs, so everybody at home that's also playing along, Michigan State is a 4-2 and two football team, and their next two games are at Wisconsin and then home against Penn State after a bye. 
So I have, in, in three weeks, Michigan State will be known as a 4-4 four and four average football team. I think they lose both of those games. I don't see any way they can score enough points offensively to beat either of those teams. I understand the Penn State game is at home after a bye, but Penn State's offense is lethal. I mean, you're going to need to score against them. I understand Michigan State's defense is good, but how'd that look last week against Ohio State? How'd that vaunted defense look? Not very good. When you have playmakers all over the field on the other side of the ball, I don't care how good your defense is, you're going to give up points, and you're going to need to score points on the other side. And Michigan State's offense, to me, is not good enough to do that. And so I think they lose both of those games. They're a middle-of-the-pack team. They're a six- or seven-win team in the Big Ten. And, yeah, they're just an average football team. My fill-in-the-blank is in three weeks, Michigan State will be known as the team that finally got Mark D'Antonio fired. Oh, you think Mark D'Antonio is gone? All right. I mean, I could see that he almost got canned a couple years ago. So, I mean, I could see that. I just think with the defense that they had, and granted, yes, like, <laughs> I think I read a stat today that Michigan State, who basically is limited long dis- or like big time plays all season long, gave up like. <sighs> 13 plays over 15 yards or more and then there was like two plays that went for 60 plus like yeah, this just it's just not good and the fact that the offense has been an utter disaster basically since Michigan State played in that that Big Ten championship game I just don't know what direction Michigan State's going and this was supposed to be the team that was supposed to be able to contend with Ohio State and when they contend with Ohio State that's generally when Sparty finds their way into that into that Indianapolis discussion but at this point, like with all the problems that have surrounded Sparty, with all the situations that have happened in Michigan State where he's kind of overlooked a lot of stuff, I just think this is finally it. And you know what doesn't help D'Antonio and Michigan State is their kicker. Matt Coglin has been awful. He was first team all Big Ten last year, one of the best kickers in the nation, and he can't make a kick to save his life. He missed another two. This week against Ohio State, missed a game winner earlier on in the season, even though D'Antonio decided to run him out there and try to kick like on the run, moronically. Um, but yeah, he hasn't been good, and, and that's a staple of Michigan State. They're always known as a good special team, a good special teams team, and this year they haven't done that, and that, that, that doesn't help their cause when they're already limited offensively and their kicker is not getting the job done, it doesn't help. You want to you wanna know one of my fun Michigan State stats that I wrote in my notebook? Sure. So coming into this game, opposing teams have combined to rush for 279 yards on 150 carries against Michigan State. That's That Jeez. was fourth nationally. The Buckeyes rushed for 323 yards on 49 carries. Jesus, just ran all over. Brian, take notes, my man. Running the football is good. It is good. Yep, it is. Number four. sure. Champ, compared to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU, Ohio State is? Right there with them. I think Ohio State is one of the best teams in the nation. I think right now Ohio State is the best team in the nation. (laughs) So I think Ohio State is better than those teams right now. You want to put them in the same breath that I don't find any issues with you putting Ohio State in the same breath as those teams. Ohio State, to me, has played the best in the country thus far, and I think right now they are the best team in college football. I 
am with you. This is two weeks in a row where I'm finally giving in to the Ohio State love. Compared to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU, Ohio State is elite. I think they have a quarterback that's go- probably one of the best players in all of Ohio State history when it's all said and done. They have a brilliant defensive player, Chase Young. They have a secondary that LeBron James keeps touting as secondary U, which is absolutely 100% true. The defense, which was supposed to be their biggest question mark, is absolutely dominating teams at this point. Mm-hmm. The offense is absolutely... More fun than I could ever imagine. J.K. Dobbins is one of my favorite players to watch in all of college football. Ohio State can beat any one of those teams in that mixture on any given Saturday, and there's no question in my mind anymore. I'm sorry I ever doubted him. Is there, is Ohio, does Ohio State have three legitimate Heisman contenders on their team? When is the last time you said that about any college football team in recent memory? To have Chase Young, to have J.K. Dobbins, and to have Justin Fields on the same roster. Three. I, I saw a list today of the top 15 Heisman candidates, and all three of those guys are on that list. So, I mean, I that alone should tell you enough about Ohio Was State. Dalvin on those Florida State teams with Jameis? Uh, he so was, was it like- but remember he... He had those. He had the knee injuries in college, though. He did. I mean, he played, but yeah. I'm just trying to think, think of like a big time, like two, like a great running back, quarterback, and then a defensive player. That Florida State defense was loaded with dudes. You could probably pick out one or two guys. I'm yeah, sure the Clemson team that won the first Natty with uh, Deshaun Watson. They had a couple guys on defense you could have picked out. Yeah. But no, did they did they have uh, what's his name at receiver too on that team? Sammy Watkins was he? Did he play with the shot? No, I don't think so. I think that was. No, I think that, that was prior. Was, yeah, before his yeah, time. Sammy's kind of old. He's super I'm old. Sorry. <laughs> Number five, champ. The team left on Ohio State's schedule with the best chance to unseat them in the East is. I wanted to say nobody, but I will say Penn State because I still think Penn State has a lot of talent, and I think. They're really the only team right now in the East that can even compete with Ohio State on the same field. So, gone to my head, I say nobody, but if you're forcing me to pick a team, I'll go with Penn State. You and I are on the same wavelength today because my blank is nobody. But (laughs) if there is somebody, it's going to be Penn State. They're ranked fourth nationally in scoring. Um, I believe the defense is ranked fourth nationally in yards per game and second in scoring. So uh, like I've been telling you all, all season long, I know Penn State had a little trip up against Pitt. <clears throat> that is an in-state rival. That is a game that Pitt wakes up for every single year that shouldn't be held against them. Penn State is a for real Big Ten opponent. It just sucks that they're in the East and they have to go through Ohio State and play at Ohio State. Yep, that's going to be a tough game. Going going to the shoe and winning this year, I don't think it's happening. I'll be in attendance for that game. I'm very excited. There you go. Beautiful. Number six, blank will win the Big Ten West. Wisconsin. I mean, I, I don't know how you can say any other team right now with what Iowa did this past week. I mean, maybe you can say Minnesota. I'm still not a believer. You but could. It, I think it's, it's Wisconsin. I mean, they're the best team in the in the West. They have the most talent. They have a great coaching staff. They actually know how to run the ball up in Wisconsin. So, yeah, I, I got to go with Wisconsin. So, my answer, just because I knew you'd say Wisconsin because you've been blowing up smoke up their ass the entire season, my answer is the Gophers. And here's why. 
The Gophers get Wisconsin at home to end the season. We know how important this game is. They're playing for the axe. This Minnesota could probably be, let's see, they have Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin left. Let's say Minnesota has one loss, and it's to Penn State. At that point in the season, everything on the line, P.J. Fleck rolling the boat, these guys rushing for a bajillion yards. You think this is how far you think Iowa's falling? You think Minnesota's <laughs> coming to Iowa City and beating them? That's wow. From a guy who had Iowa in the playoff preseason to now having Minnesota beating them, that's that's a hard fall, big boy. It is a hard fall. I don't necessarily believe that. I just wanted to play devil's advocate because the real answer is, of course, Wisconsin. Let's not all be dumb. You just wanted to fire DC up when he listens to DC, this the non believer. I mean, I've accepted Ohio State in my heart. He needs to just admit that Minnesota's better than what he was saying. Is Minnesota ranked yet? I don't think so, right? No, they're they they're five and zero and unranked, and their fans are pissed. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. That's yeah, that should tell you enough. Champ, this one I'm really excited about. Number seven. If you could sub in any Big Ten quarterback not named Justin Fields. For Nate Stanley, the rest of the season, that guy is Sean Clifford. Give me, give me Clifford. I mean, he's playing great for Penn State. He's got fourteen hundred and forty-three yards, twelve touchdowns, two interceptions, completing the ball at a sixty-six point seven percent clip. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's lighting up scoreboards, throwing the ball all over the field, hitting numerous receivers. He's only a sophomore, and he's doing this in his first. Full season as the starter. Yep. Give me Sean Clifford for the rest of this year, and then I get him for a couple more years too. I mean, he's he looks legit. He could be one of the better Penn State quarterbacks, you know, of our lifetime or in Penn State's history. You're you're one hundred percent Sean Clifford. I've been telling you guys ever since he gave that speech about being like they're not going to miss a step after McSorley graduated. I was in on this kid, but I'm actually going to go with Jack Cohen, and here's why. Jack Cohn has seven touchdowns and one interception right now. He has 939 yards, but the thing he's very good at is just handing the ball off. Handing (laughs) it off to great running backs who run behind big behemoth offensive lines that should, in theory, be able to move piles three, four yards down the field. So after the Michigan game, yes, this is the biggest overreaction of all time. But I want a guy that is able to just give the ball to the fucking guys that are going to be able to help us win games at Michigan when they pissing down their leg with their crappy ass quarterback. You're calling for game managers. Man, I just can't believe that came out of your mouth. You were calling for Jack Cohn's head last week, saying that he could be replaced by their, by, yeah, exactly. And now all of a sudden you want him to be Iowa's quarterback the rest of the year instead of Nate Stanley. That, that shocks me that that came out of your mouth. It shocks me too. I hate myself for it. All right, let's move on to the <laughs> next question. Jim Harbaugh will be or sorry, Jim Harbaugh will blank beat Ohio State as the head coach. Hold on. Cut that. Yeah, you said it right. Oh, there we go. Yes. Jim Harbaugh will blank beat Ohio State as the head coach of Michigan. Never. Jim Harbaugh <laughs> is never going to beat Ohio State as the head coach of Michigan. They, he just can't do it. He hasn't done it yet. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is long for that job at Michigan. I think he's got a couple more years, maybe. Maybe that Iowa and buys him some more time, but I don't think he's ever beating uh, Ohio State. 
My answer is never as well. Jim Harbaugh's toast. I don't see, like, after the performance they put on this weekend, like, do you really think they're going to? This team is, this team's a Holiday Bowl team, too. Yep. I mean, their offense is garbage. Shea Patterson I might mean, be one of the worst quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's what just upset us even more watching that game is how bad he is, and they, they still won. Ugh. It just makes me so angry. This whole show is just going to be called Overreactions Are Us. <laughs> Number nine, Minnesota's beatdown of Illinois was? Semi-impressive. <laughs> I will give Minnesota some credit. That was a semi-impressive win. The only reason I say that is because Illinois came in off a of bye, so they had two weeks to prepare for Minnesota, and they still got smacked. Lovey Smith comes in there, gets smacked around, Minnesota controlled that game from start to finish and moved to 5-0. and So at some point, we got to give some love to the Gophers. You already have earlier in the show, so I'm going to give them a little love myself. My response to, for the blank is a thing of beauty. If you look at this game, Minnesota was 2-for-10 on third downs. They only passed for 155 yards, but they rushed the football for 330 Two yards on 52 attempts. Champ, that's a 6.4 yard per rush average. It's amazing what you can do when you run the ball and you consistently run the ball. And they only had four penalties for 25 yards. They turned it over twice and still beat the shit out of Illinois, 40-17. to 17. I, I know that they might not have a passing attack, but Minnesota knows who they are. They know what they do well, and they do it great. I think Iowa had more penalties in their last drive than Minnesota did in the entire game. They 100% did. Ugh, sick. In fact, they doubled up that the penalties for the actual sacks that they gave up, and still, somehow, Minnesota, if they would have gotten taken that same average, gave up less yards. <laughs> Crazy. Terrible. All right, last one. Northwestern and Nebraska are... Dog shit football teams. <laughs> that that game was tough to watch. I didn't watch a whole lot of it. The stuff, I was just so upset after the Iowa game that I just kind of moved away from my television. But I went back, I watched some of that game, and it was tough to watch. Both of those teams are not good. Offensively, it is was it might have been worse than the Iowa-Michigan game, and that's hard to do. Both of those offenses are absolute trash. They're not good football teams. They're both going to finish under 500 this year. Just disgusting. It was a quarterback nightmare in that game. Adrian Martinez, Aiden Smith, I, I think they combined. It was like something like 33 for, I don't know, 60 total. They didn't have any touchdowns. There was one pick. Their QBRs were both under 50. It was just terrible to watch. I think – there was a Noah something or another that had to come in for Nebraska as well. It was just terrible offensive football and having yeah no Noah Vedral yeah Noah Vedral. It's just it, Nebraska Northwestern are big big time pretenders. I'm, all those media experts, all the those dudes at the beginning of the year, the talking heads that had to say that Nebraska Northwestern might be duking this out at the end and completely shit on Wisconsin and overlooked Iowa. Yes, even with this one loss to Michigan, Iowa still a good football team. Overlooking those two in favor of these two is a big, big problem. Those guys should actually have their they should have their um, media passes revoked. 
I mean, how about the fact that Pat Fitzgerald iced the kicker three times in a row on a 24-yard field goal in the fourth quarter? Three straight timeouts to try to ice the kicker. Obviously didn't work because he still made it. It was 24 yards. Did he really think that three timeouts were necessary? There's one for every loss that he has in the Big Ten. Yep, exactly. All right, champ, that was our fill-in-the-blank game for this week. Now, before we move on to previewing Penn State at Iowa, did your Big Ten playoff contenders change after this weekend? They did. I dropped Iowa out of it. I'm wow. sorry. Iowa, Iowa has dropped out of uh, my playoff contenders until further notice. When you have a game where you play that poorly offensively, you can't be a contender for a Big Ten championship for me. I'm sorry. Let alone winning the West. If you think that sort of offense can uh, even be in a game against Ohio State, let alone beat them, you got another thing coming. They dropped out for me. Uh, it's my first change of the season for my contenders uh, six weeks in. So, yeah, they dropped out. My other three still are in there, Penn State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. But for me, Iowa has dropped out. I'm leaving Iowa in only because this is only a Big Ten East loss. They still have the opportunity to run the table for everybody in the Big Ten West. That game at Wisconsin, as we have said all season long, everything hinges on that one. I do think... And we might, but you're, it doesn't all hinge on that one. If they lose to Penn State, that Wisconsin game doesn't really matter because even if they beat Wisconsin, they're still going to have two Big Ten losses. That was why this game was so important against Michigan. They had to they had to figure out a way to go one and one in this two game stretch. And who knows? We've seen Iowa pull a miracle and a rabbit out of the hat at a home under the lights at Kinnick. But we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. I'm officially adding Ohio State. I don't know if I did that before. I'm looking at D.C.'s rundown from the last week or two. Ohio State's not in it. So I'm officially putting them in. But I'm leaving Iowa right now. But they are on notice. So, Champ, let's get into Penn State. After a few days to digest the Michigan loss, do you think Iowa is more of that team that we saw or the f- team that we saw through the first four games against Penn State this weekend? Such a hard question, but I, I, I might just still be hurt from that game. But I think they're more of the team against Michigan. Michigan has been, <coughs> excuse me, the best team they've played on their schedule thus far, which is not saying a lot because I don't think Michigan is a very good team. But when they perform that way, you gotta, you gotta say that they're more of that team until they prove otherwise. Those first four games, I understand Iowa State's playing better now. But really, none of those teams are very good either. Iowa State's the best out of those four. And yeah, they ran up the score. They played well in those games. But I'd say they're more of the team against Michigan. I don't think that's the team that we have here. I think that there's way too much leadership on this team. I think there's way too much talent at on all levels, the coaching staff and the roster, for them to go against the rest and look at the rest of the schedule and play that way. Like, I just don't see that happening. I, like I said earlier, I do believe that Brian Ferentz is going to learn from this game. And I, I really hope that they have a good game plan to go up against Penn State because this defense is harder. This offense isn't going to give you those opportunities to pick, you know, pick off these types of plays that you have with Shea Patterson. It's just not going to happen. But I do think yep. that I would Iowa more resembles that team at least that played against Iowa State. They had fight in that game. Nate Stanley was a big reason as to why they won 
They they slogged it out. They bend but didn't break. They had great special teams that day. I think Iowa's more that team than the team we saw against Michigan. Now, do they score enough to keep up with the Penn State? I'm not sure. But defensively, we know who's going to show up, especially with a raucous crowd under the lights at Kinnick Stadium this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the de- the defense hasn't been the question. It's never I, the, been the, the question, really. has been great all year. I mean, there, there's no discounting that. The defense has been great. They are who we thought they were. They played great again last week. So, I mean, it, that's not the question at all. We know what the question is. So what's the key to beating Penn State to you? They got to score over 30 points. I think that's the key to winning this game. I don't think 17, 20, even the mid-20s are going to get it done. I think Penn State's going to be able to score a little bit. The Iowa defense is going to be able to hold them out of the end zone and you know keep giving them field goals. Penn State's going to score. So Iowa's going to have to come through. They're going to have to score 30 points, more than 30 points, I think, to win this game. That's the key, getting over that 30 mark. I think it's going to be extremely important for A.J. Epinesa to have a big game this weekend. But if Brian's going to do anything and Kirk's going to do anything, they need to watch what Pitt did against Penn State in that 17-10 game because there's no reason that Iowa should be able to at least do something similar. And I know that's that's probably just straight up going out there and playing great defense to start. So that's obviously the key. If Iowa could go back out there and Geno Stone's going to be shot out of a cannon on every single play, the quarterbacks are able to stop those type of receivers from going up and getting them or getting better position or boxing them out on those types of throws down the field and have learned from the mistakes they made against Michigan, Iowa's going to be in this contest. I do think that Nate, for all the things that he is not on the road, he is a very good quarterback in Kinnick Stadium. And, yes, it's going to be a little more difficult moving the ball against Penn State, but Iowa should have a better game plan and an offensive line that at least is a little more cohesive after a full week of practice and watching that tape. Because we all know if there's one thing that happened on that Sunday is that that offensive line got their asses handed to them when they watched film. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's another big-time show-it game for the offensive unit. They didn't do it against Michigan. We're, we're going to see if they do it this week. All right. What are you watching this weekend? What are you kind of keying in on? What's going to be the one thing that you – obviously you're going to watch the full game, but what's going to be one thing that you're kind of honing in on, champ? The one thing I want to see this week is Tyler Goodson get the majority of the carries in the backfield. I think he has proven that he is Iowa's most electric playmaker out of the backfield. Probably him and Amir Smith-Marset are probably the most electric playmakers they have on offense. I think this is the week he earns himself. I think they should start Tyler Goodson this week, and I think he should get 60% of the rushing attempts against Penn State. And I don't care that he's a true freshman. I want him out there. He's the most talented player in that backfield, and he needs to play more. So that's the biggest key to me. The biggest thing I want to see is, Brian Ferentz, can you adjust and learn and give Tyler Goodson more of an opportunity to play on Saturday. The thing I'm watching is how well the guards play this weekend. We saw what happened. They got exposed this past Saturday. Penn State right now, they probably have two of the best uh, pure rushers in all of the Big Ten football. In your Tur Gross, Mateos, or Matos, and Shaka Tony, those two combined have 11 sacks on the season. 
Yeah, scary. They're, they had, I think, nine or ten sacks last week on, on, from the defense. So, yeah, that's going to be a big key for sure. They're going to need to protect Nate and, yeah, do a lot better than they did last we week. We know what happens when Nate has time. He's going to be able to make plays. I think that he's going to make a couple big-time clutch throws as long as he has that protection. But if these guys think that Penn State's not licking their chops after what happened this past weekend, they have another thing coming. And if the offensive line loses the point of attack from the very early get-go once again and Penn State can just keep continuously pinning their ears back on second down and third down and Nate's getting hit right in the face within one or two seconds of him getting the ball, this is, this is over before it starts. Yep, 100%. So I'm correct. looking at you, Paulson Twins. Get your shit together. All right, champ, we'll make a prediction here towards the end. So let's get into our Big Ten picks for the week against the spread. Game number one, I have Rutgers at Indiana. Indiana's giving Rutgers 27 and a half. <laughs> Why? I mean, that is just so many points. Give me Rutgers plus almost four touchdowns. Yeah, that was way too many points for an Indiana team. At first when I saw this line, I had to like double take and it was like, did Indiana get some sort of like transfer player? I didn't know about what the hell is going on here. Yeah, the, not doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that probably means Indiana wins fifty six to nothing. Who Maybe knows? this is the week we pulled that interim coach thing. We said it last week; we were way wrong. Maybe it's this week that the interim coach gets them all fired up. He has a full, like, real big week of practice. Yeah, who well, may be? We'll see. Maybe they pull off a shocking upset or a shocking uh, cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second game we got Michigan State at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a 10-point favorite. We talked about Michigan State earlier. What do you think? I think this is way too low. I think it should have been at least two touchdowns. I think Wisconsin's going to manhandle Michigan State. They're going to be able to run the ball. And like you said, Ohio State ran all over this vaunted Michigan State defense last week. I don't see any difference from Wisconsin. They're even a better running team. and So I think they're going to be able to run the ball. And I think they're going to win by. Oh, I think they're going to win by three touchdowns. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, something I forgot to mention earlier that I written down. My boy Jack Cohen has a 75 percent completion percentage. That was another big key as to why I wanted him when he wasn't handing off the ball. He's able to hit his receivers there. But Wisconsin, I think you're right. I think 17-ish points probably sounds right at the end of the day. Michigan State, sorry, I think champ's right. You are very, very average. Mm-hmm. Next game we got is Nebraska at Minnesota. Minnesota is giving seven and a half points. Whew, that's a, this is a tough one for me. I think uh, I think Minnesota wins this game, and if it was six and a half, I would take Minnesota for sure. That hook, it just for some reason, I think Nebraska keeps this close, loses by a touchdown. So I would stay away from this game. But if you had to pick it, I'll I'll take Nebraska with the hook, seven and a half. Minnesota at home going for their sixth win. Nebraska susceptible to giving up big yards on the ground. I'm going to lay the points with my Golden Gophers. I can't believe I just said that. That sounds, ugh, it made me feel like gross. <laughs> Next game, champ, we have Michigan giving 21 and a half at Illinois. Do you believe in Shea Patterson against your boy Lovey Smith? No, I don't even. I don't even know if Michigan can score twenty-two points, let alone cover by twenty-two points. I understand <laughs> Illinois is not a good football team. They just got spanked by Minnesota, but at home, I think they can cover three and a half touchdowns. You know, three touchdowns in the hook. So, give me Illinois. 
I'm going to take Michigan here just because I've given up on Illinois and Lovey Smith. Yeah, he's his time in Champaign is uh, not very long. I've picked them basically every week, and every week I've been wrong. Yeah, they blo- well, that'll lead to our next game. Go ahead. Maryland giving five at Purdue. Uh, you know I've been on Purdue almost every week, and they just keep getting smacked around, so get... I guess they'll take Maryland. I'll switch it up. Give me the take Maryland minus the five. There's nothing like going to Rutgers and putting 48 points to get an offense back up and running. Um, I think I'm pretty sure Josh Jackson got hurt. So there's some quarterback controversy there, maybe a question mark at least. But Purdue is injured all over the field. They're not a good football team right now. I'll go ahead and go side with my Terps once again. And go. champ, finally, the thing that we all came for, Penn State giving four and a half at Iowa. Where you at? <sighs> I believe Iowa will cover this spread, but I think Penn State wins this game. Unfortunately, I think it's a 31-27 to 27 final. I just don't. I don't believe in Nate. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that he's going to be able to score enough points to beat this Penn State team. Believe me, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he lights it up, and I hope Iowa gets this win. But I think Penn State pulls it out in a close game, uh, 31-27. You don't need to believe in Nate to believe Iowa to win. And here's why. This defense we saw last week can do anything on the field they can match up with just about anybody and still make sure that they are a cohesive unit that has one goal in mind and that is continuously keeping the offense that they are facing out of the end zone. I believe in Iowa's defense wholeheartedly to be able to go out there, do their job, keep everything in front of them, and keep and hold Penn State to field goals. Yes, will they give up one of those leaky type of touchdowns? Some big play might happen? Sure. But I don't see Penn State scoring over 20. So that means Iowa's got to go out there and show every single one of us that is now doubting them that they know what the hell they're doing. And that's going to start, like I mentioned, with the offensive line. Iowa puts offensive linemen into the league. They should be be able to figure out this problem easily. And if the guys that are in there right now can't do it and they don't know how to call each other out and they're like, it's going to be dead quiet at Kinnick. So there shouldn't be any communication problems this week. There should, they should be able to easily pick out like that guy's about to stunt. This guy's coming. The blitz is coming from here. Nate should easily be able to put, pick these guys out too as a senior. I think the Iowa offense gets things back on track. I think you're right. I think Tyler Goodson's going to be the key to this game, a la Akram Wadley a couple years ago against Penn State. And I think we finally get this game. We get a W against Penn State at home. We're going to be the ones that are going to be putting a touchdown in the end zone at the final seconds. And we're going to have a little bit of a sweet revenge. I'm taking Iowa outright. All right. I hope so. I mean, I'd love it, but... I just I'm I'm still scorned from last week. You could be scorned, but we all know that the minute Iowa takes a lead, the first time this weekend, you're going to be back on board and setting all the types of tag. Well, actually, you'll be in Italy at a wedding, and you won't know what's going on. So I'll be doing it for you. Okay, so the game starts at 6:30 local time in Iowa, so that means it'll start at about 1:30 Italian time. So, and that is the night of my sister's wedding. So. Me and DC are probably going to do our best to try to stream this game and watch it, but who the hell knows what's going to happen. If anybody knows how to easily change, I think it's called a VPN. I think one of our our listeners told us you have to 
change a VPN to trick basically your phone company to know where you're at and located so you can stream, please send us a little note in the comments or send us on Twitter because we need to help these guys be able to watch this game while they're a little slammered after a wedding. Uh, if I had confidence in any person to be able to get this game, it's Dave Cray. I 100%. Mean, DC is very good at trying to get this stuff. So if, if there's a way we can watch, I have the utmost confidence that DC will find that way for us and we'll be able to get to watch this game. Well, there you have it. We will get back together. We will be missing the recap this week, but like we said, Boiler Hawk's going to be taking that over for us. We will be back with the show next week after these guys get back from Italy, and we'll be here to either talk about the successful Iowa weekend or another loss that we're frankly going to have to figure out and navigate because I'm not really ready to lose two in a row yet. <laughs> Me neither. Hopefully we get that done. All right. So for the people's champ for DC, Arrivederci. Go Hawks. Oh. Trick or treat, Iowa City. <laughs> if you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.